is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you things usually get worse before they get better. Welcome in. We are live here on this Tuesday. Appreciate you spending your Tuesday with A to Z right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. We'll dive deep into the Falcons with our good buddy Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons. And a lot to do here on this Tuesday as uh, we get you set up for the rest of the week. And again, thank you, everybody, for being part of A to Z and Locked On. We've passed 1,000 subscribers. Keep it up. Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And make sure you share all the podcasts and everywhere you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. But share all the uh, the clips and all the media that we put out for the shows every single day. All right. Um, the Braves, last night, lose a very, very tough one. Uh, they lose one nothing to the Milwaukee Brewers. Ian Anderson was dazzling for six innings he gave up just one run on a wild pitch and that was enough for Milwaukee to win the game one nothing and we talked yesterday and I told you guys that you know they have got to take advantage of beating bad teams the next chance I think they'll have to get over 500 and everybody always says wait till Memorial Day wait till Memorial Day well they're not gonna be over 500 by Memorial Day call it what you want I mean between Milwaukee and then they get the Marlins and Philadelphia and, and the Marlins again. I mean, NL East games, division games are usually toss-ups. Sure, they can be one-sided against a particular opponent, but more often than not, you're looking at a situation where um, you're much closer to 500 against those division opponents than anything else. So that's not going to be enough to get them over 500. But after that divisional run, they'll, they'll play some bad teams, Colorado, uh, Oakland, Pittsburgh, and Chicago, the Cubs that they have a chance to get over 500 by the middle of June. But things are probably going to get worse before they get better. That's just kind of where things are. You're going to lose games like you lost last night that are increasingly frustrating as they start to pile up, right? When you're the Dodgers or you're the Yankees and you're in first place by nine games, or even the Mets in this case, when you're in first place by a large chunk and you lose a one nothing game on a wild pitch, you're like, okay, we'll go get them tomorrow. But when you're trailing – you know, that begins to get really, really frustrating for uh, anybody who who is backing the team. And so I don't know what Brian Snitker can do to fix this. Uh, Ronald Acuna reports he may be back for tonight's game. He did some testing yesterday, some running on that groin, and he may be back. Who knows? But this is still a Braves team right now that is severely flawed. They struck out 16 times last night. They have 350 strikeouts. That is the most in Major League Baseball by a considerable margin. And I don't necessarily know that you can fix that other than changing the guys in the lineup. Get more disciplined guys who don't swing at as many pitches, and you'll have a chance to sort of affect that in a positive manner. And that's about all I can come up with. And I don't know if Snicker's ready to do that. Uh, I don't know if he feels like he needs to do that. But this is a team right now that is that is super struggling offensively. Uh, and it, it has nothing to do with Freddie Freeman, per se. And we discussed that yesterday on the show. Like Freddie, last year, they were putting up the same numbers in the same spot with Freddie as they were without him now. So I don't know if it's that much. Do I think that Freddie provides a different level of energy to the clubhouse, provides a different level of stability 
to the entire organization and all the players around him? Yeah, of course he does. But, you know, it's it's hard to know one way or another how this would be working out if Freddie was still here as opposed to Matt Olson. And Olson got off to a great start, but he's he sort of come back to earth. The problem is, too, again, the top of the lineup. You know, with Acuna being out and them getting no production there, it's changed the scope of things. So if they can get Acuna back, and oh, by the way, if he doesn't play in this Milwaukee series, we may have to consider him for another stint on the IL. Like he may need to go back on the injured list just to get another body up here because you're playing shorthanded, right? Like that's just a fact of the matter. And so, you know, I I hope things turn around. I hope that they start to look a little bit rosier and go in a better direction. But I'm not going to be surprised, like I said, if they are not over 500 until the middle of June, June 15th to be exact, uh, after they finish up a series with the Washington Nationals. I think that is the best and most opportune time for them to really have a chance to uh, get over 500 and stay there. So it's tough. It's frustrating to watch, man. It really is. It is super frustrating to watch this team at times, especially given how much they strike out, how much they don't hit with runners in scoring position, because that's the mark, the mark of, of and the hallmark of, of good winning playoff teams, of World Series teams. You know, the old adage they talk about in baseball, playoff, uh, two out base hits, win World Series. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. But you have to have a guy there who can help you do that. And right now they don't have anybody helping them do that. So it's been a very, very rough go of things. And oh, by the way, you know, you're wasting a lot of good starting pitching at this point. So that part is also frustrating. If some of these guys have a regression, you're going to need to score a lot more runs than what you're scoring now to get these guys W's. That's just the way it is. So the Braves continue to struggle here. Um, and Let's hope they can win the next two of this series against Milwaukee. Maybe the Bats wake up tonight. Who knows? Um, they're starting uh, Tyler or Tucker Davidson, rather. And um, he hasn't made a start on the year yet. And the one appearance he did have, he gave up five runs in two and two-thirds. So uh, spot start situation here for them. We'll see what happens. Uh, you got to catch lightning in the bottle. Hopefully the kid gets lucky and, and strikes out what is a pretty formidable lineup. And one that scores early on in games. Uh, so if he's pitching from behind the whole time, that's going to be problematic for him. And who knows how long he'll last in the game if that's the case. All right, coming up next, uh, we will get back to the Atlanta Falcons. Is Arthur Smith trying to play basketball on a football field? We'll discuss that with Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons right here next on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back in to Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zino, M A R K Z I N N O. And let's dive right into it here because uh, the Falcons have completed their rookie mini camp. And here to talk to you about that and a whole lot more. From Locked On Falcons, it's our good friend Aaron Freeman joining the show. Aaron, welcome and uh, and great to have you back here, bro. Appreciate uh, you having me on, Mark. All right, rookie mini camp uh, wraps up. I mean, I mean, nothing too amazing really happens at any of these things. You know, you get you get through it with no injuries. I think that's the most important part. But you know, try to take something away from what we saw. Was there anything you could find? Any sort of needles you could pull out of a haystack? I mean, you know, if you were looking for Desmond Ritter to get off to a good start. 
you know, and say all the right things and, you know, and the highlight clips look good throwing, you know, those half speed out patterns against air. Uh, I think you saw that. And and so he checked that box from a stand from that standpoint. I think, you know, the one thing that most people agreed on is Desmond Ritter has sort of that professional approach and that intangible quality that you think makes him, you know, a p- professional quarterback from the neck up. And he displayed that. And so if, you're looking for camp competition at that quarterback position. If you're looking for Desmond Ritter to at least sound like a franchise quarterback, I think he checked that box. How much competition do you think we'll see between Ritter and Mariota in camp? I, I think it's Mariota's job to lose. Um, I do think, though, that Ritter has an opportunity because I don't think the expectations are high for this football team that he can come in and outright win the job. So I think it's going to be a legit competition, but I don't think people should assume that it's it's going to be neck and neck going into training camp. I, I think really those first couple of um, weeks, you know, and, and then we get into the preseason stuff. And I think there's a possibility that like he – Ritter could come in and take the job, but I don't think that's kind of the plan for the Falcons. So, you know, if I was to sit here and, and put numbers on it, I, I'd probably say like 70-30 in favor of Mariota being the starter week one. I don't know if you heard me. I, I talked about it on the show a couple of times, but the best place to insert Mariota into the starting lineup, honestly, is week eight against Carolina. Now, typically you'd love to do it post uh, the mini buy after the Thursday night game or post by week, but those are the Falcons happen in week 11 and week 14. So you're probably too deep into the season at that point to really gauge what he has and what he doesn't. But if you bring him in week eight against Carolina, you get that meat grinder at the front end of your schedule out where you get, you know, the defending Super Bowl champs. Uh, you know, obviously you got the Saints. You're going to get the Bengals there as well. So you're getting a whole bunch of tough uh, – the Chargers are going to get a whole bunch of – no, you don't get the Chargers yet. You're going to get a whole bunch of tough opponents. But if you insert him in week eight uh, in that game against the Panthers, one, it's home. Two – you're probably getting one of the worst defenses on your schedule that you're going to play, at least statistically from last year. So he won't face a ton of pressure or immediate rush. Three, here's the rub. After being home for that game, they are home for the following week against the Chargers. Then they play the Panthers again on Thursday night in Carolina. And the big thing is, honestly, you'll get a gauge in 10 days how much he's learned from the first time he saw an opponent to the second time. It's not often you get to see the same opponent twice in a three-week span in the NFL. It's happened before, but it doesn't happen with any regularity. So if you're asking me, uh, probably after a best of two and five start, maybe one and six, you know, I don't predict wins, but it kind of feels that way, that that's a distinct possibility. It's just time to make a change because it's time to make a change at this point. There's no reason to keep running Mariota out there with no different results. Bring the kid in, let him start in week eight against Carolina. I agree with you, Mark. And, you know, you, you know that's a rare occurrence uh, between us. So I, I have I have no notes. I agree 100%. I was saying similar things on Locked on Falcons when the schedule came out. It, it seems like the schedule mater, makers built in a plan for the path for a path for the Falcons to you know throw Mariota out there, throw him to the wolves in in the early part of the season, and then when the schedule starts to get a little bit softer around the midpoint, you know at that point in time, assuming the Falcons aren't you know four and, and three or whatever the case may be which I don't think they will be, um, you know, you can turn the page to Desmond Ritter and basically give him the second half of the season in, in a pretty relatively compared to the first part of the season, an easy path to sort of acclimate to the NFL. Aaron, we don't need to talk about the Falcons deficiencies uh, straight out. We know they're all there. That said, 
Uh, it does beg the question why Arthur Smith is trying to put a basketball team on a football field when he plays offense. I mean, I get it. Look, you know, they're going to be three second, three step drops, uh, very short routes to bigger wide receivers. You look at the size of the wide receiving core that they have. They might not be the fastest. They might not have the best hands. They might not be the best route runners, but they're going to be bigger than most of the guys they're matching up with defensively. So I foresee a dink and dunk offense trying to annoy the hell out of you uh, until you make an adjustment because they're not going to have enough time to do five and seven step, step, seven step drops on the regular. So big bodies, wide catch radius, a lot of room for a, a fairly inaccurate quarterback by today's standards to, to have room to get the football to me seems like what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because when Arthur Smith came to Atlanta, he said he was going to make adjustments to his offense to fit the personnel here in Atlanta. And it seems like, by all accounts, he's just basically building the same version of the offense that Tennessee had. And he's really not making that many adjustments. And, and that's not meant to be a knock, uh, but it is just notable to me that when you look at the two Titans wide receivers that he was uh, had in his offense and A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, they were bigger wide receivers. They were bigger combination of wide receivers and it seems like with drake london with kyle pitts uh and the additions of guys like brian edwards and auden tate and geronimo allison that they're basically hoping that you know through the power of competition one of those guys emerges you know whether if drake london's supposed to be the aj brown then one of those guys emerges to be the Corey davis or vice versa or whatever the case may be and so that seems to be the plan for the falcons right now we'll see if it works um you know i think that's the style of wide receivers that you want to have, particularly if you want to be a run heavy team like the Titans were, where you're running the ball a lot to, to Derrick Henry. And, you know, you want bigger wide outs that can, you know, get on the edge and block for that running back uh, and, and open those big runs. I don't know if the Falcons quite have that type of uh, player in the, in the backfield, but certainly I think with all the additions that they made at the wide receiver position that they're working towards some sort of semblance of a very Titans-esque offense in the future. Well, you heard it here first. Tyler Algier starting with running back week one. That's – I don't know that there's another option. It's not Cordero Patterson. He's not going to be a bell cow back on first and second down. He'll obviously get run there, but that's not going to be what Arthur Smith had anything remotely close to. And I'm not even talking about the size of back of Derrick Henry – that's not anything with the level of consistency that a Derrick Henry could produce. So uh, I think Algier is closer to that. Kadri Allison, uh, Damian, why, am I, why is his name? Williams. Mind here. Williams might get a little bit of run. Um, but I think week one, Tyler Algier is a starting running back for this team. I think the Falcons are definitely putting their their bets on Tyler Algier to be that guy. And I, I know plenty of people that are draft people that really like Tyler Algier, had him as one of the top four or five backs in this draft class. I didn't quite see him on that level, but clearly the Falcons seem to be leaning in that direction where they think probably they got a steal moving on from Mike Davis and having Cordero Patterson and, and doing the various things that he's going to do. I do think Patterson is going to be the lead tailback, but I do think as you know, similar to the conversation we're having with Desmond Ritter, I do think the conversation is going to lead to the Falcons wanting to transition to Tyler Algier to be potentially their bell cow back so that they can utilize Patterson's skill set more in the passing game where he's well, yeah, at his and, best. And I, I think that's it. I mean, he's going to be the fastest wide receiver pass catcher that they have. He's the only guy out there who really can stretch the field past the defense. And so I think that that's the role that he'll start to assume a little bit more on the offense is to be, while they're dinking and dunking, is to try to find him going deep one-on-one -on -one and outrunning a defender. Uh, and then you leave it up to Marcus Mario to actually get the ball out there where it's catchable. So that's a whole different equation. But at least the, the execution of the premise isn't bad.
Yeah, you know, and you look at talking about getting rid of the ball quickly. Like last year, Patterson was the one guy that you could dump the ball off to and he could turn a five-yard pass into a 20-yard gain. Um, and so he still remains their best asset in, in terms of that uh, moving forward. So I, I think, you know, Patterson will have his role more as a pass catcher this year. Uh, I think the goal is to have Algier be more of the bell cow running back, and we'll see if he can live up to those expectations. We know rookie running backs have had a history of coming in and having success. You know, I think the big question for me with Tyler Algier is not necessarily his ability, but who's blocking for him? That like that to me was the real issue for the Falcons last year, not the running backs. Um, and so I think running back the same potential starting five this year, we'll just sort of have to see if those guys are, are better at this in year two under Arthur Smith and offensive line coach Dwayne Lever than they were in year one. Because if we get a repeat of what we saw last year, then you know this running game is going nowhere. Aaron, while I certainly can at least understand the direction of the offense, I don't have to agree with it, but I can understand it and think that the execution could work to try to cover up some of the deficiencies. I don't know if I have the same sort of confidence on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not sure what they're doing or what they're trying to build or what direction they want to go in. I mean, you know, based off the draft picks alone, obviously they got an edge rusher, they got a middle linebacker, you know, um, they, they got a couple of guys on the, on the D line, but you know, they, they didn't, do any major upgrades to the secondary uh, or change anything around from that standpoint. So what is the plan for the defense in your opinion? I think they're, they're, they they want to see, particularly in the secondary, where certain players go, particularly at the safety position. I think Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins didn't necessarily do a ton last year, but Hawkins flashed some playmaking ability with some interceptions. Richie Grant was kind of square pegged due to the injuries at the nickel cornerback position uh and playing a lot more cornerback than safety and so i think the falcons giving him a year at safety uh to sort of win that job now that isaiah oliver's back handling a nickel cornerbacks but i think the falcons are just looking to see sort of if they have any pieces in young pieces i think my main concern with the defense is up front they couldn't rush the quarterback they couldn't stop the run last year they gave up uh, i think a 720 yards rushing in the final four games of the season uh which is without a doubt uh you know one of the worst things i've ever seen um, and they didn't really do anything, you know, they did draft a couple of pass rushers, but they didn't really do anything to beef up their defensive line. And I wonder if maybe we're, you know, on the eve of training camp, there'll be a move made to get maybe another veteran in here. Um, because I look at their schedule and I see a whole lot of teams that are going to run the football. And if the Falcons run defense can't stop the run any better than they were a year, a year ago, they're just going to get completely grinded down by, you know, some of these teams like Cleveland, uh, Arizona, Pittsburgh, you know, some of these other teams out there that are just going to run the football. Carolina uh, really pounded it down their throat. New Orleans as well in that week 18 game. So I think that's going to be the concern. And obviously you need to get pressure on the quarterback because, you know, Tampa Bay is not going to run the football. They're just going to drop back and throw the ball 50 times to Tom Brady. And we've seen him light up this defense. And so you need to be able to get pressure on the quarterback in those games. But I, I think those are the big question marks. But I think right now for the Falcons, it's kind of just a piecemeal and that probably will be something that they will invest heavily in next offseason uh, to sort of supplement it. But this year, you're just kind of hoping that some of these young players like Richie Grant, um, as well as some of the rookies, can step up and, and show that they have a, a future here in Atlanta. Yeah, well, you know, that, that run-stopping thing uh, Jordan Davis was pretty good at, but, you know, we don't, we don't need to revisit the, uh, the NFL draft at all. He is Aaron Freeman. Again, check him out on Locked on Falcons, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, you can search for 
Locked On Falcons. He's part of our Locked On Atlanta network here. Aaron, thanks so much for the time. We'll have plenty of time to dissect this throughout the entire summer, so I'm sure we'll do this again real soon. But thanks for the time, as always. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, brother. All right, well, uh, we will take a time out and wrap things up next here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Thank you for being A to Z, part of your everyday sports listen here in the ATL. Of course, check out all the great shows on our platform, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Wins with Jarvis Davis and TDHBT. Don't forget about Locked On Falcons with Aaron Freeman, Locked On Hawks, Brad Roland, and of course, our Braves postcast with our own Grant McCauley. So we appreciate you guys checking out all the shows here on the Locked On Network. Uh, final segment here about the NBA playoffs uh, as they conference finals get underway here, uh, starting tonight with Boston and Miami. Number one and number two in the Eastern Conference. Miami, the one seed, Boston, the two seed coming into this uh, NBA playoff season here. And, you know, I fully expect that they're going to bring back like a, a 1990s style of basketball. Uh, for those of us who are, who are young enough, old enough to remember what that style of basketball is like, to remember what the Knicks and Heat were like, to remember the Bulls and Pacers were like um, in the 90s and the way that they played is pretty awesome. Uh, and I think you're going to get that kind of series again, you know, and while the Celtics needed seven games to finish off the heat, you know, um, I'm sorry to finish off the bucks. Rather the heat only needed six games to take care of Philadelphia. It's weird because the heat are favored in game one, but they are underdogs to win the series. Celtics are a two to one favorite to win the series. Now Boston won two of the three regular season meetings between the two teams. Each team won a game on the road. And I think a lot of this will come down to matchups and how people do uh, against, you know, aggressively switching defenses. Uh, but, you know, the the Boston Celtics have had to get through two of the best players in the world in Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo in back-to-back rounds. I think that favors them here in the series and in game one. They're a little bit more battle-tested than Miami is. Uh, where it's really interesting to me is the total for this game at 204. Really, really low number. Um, and... I was wondering, and I tweeted this out on my Twitter account, at Mark Zeno, are we going to see a total posted below 200 in this series? I think we will. I think at some point we will, especially if the first game goes like I think it's going to go. The first meeting between these two teams this year was a Boston win 95 to 78. Yeah, that is 1990-style basketball scoring right there. Another meeting between these two teams landed right on 204-106-98. That's where the scoring is going to be this whole series. I, I have a hard time believing that either one of these teams is going to get to 100. One of them, at least one of them is being kept below 100, if not both of them. And along the same lines, the Heat have had nine of 11, nine of their last 11 games go under the total and only had two games at home at the American Airlines Arena that actually went over the total since April 1st. We are now middle of March. So uh, as well, the Celtics had five of their seven games against the Bucs go under. So I, I really like the under. It's nuts. It's crazy low at 204, but uh, I'm not going to try to find reasons this thing will go over. I think this thing goes under, and that's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, I don't have to really look into it any further than that. Now, I think that the Golden State-Dallas uh, series is a little bit more difficult to handicap. In game one, Golden State's laying five, and you got a total of 214 and a half. Five feels like a lot. I mean, really, Golden State didn't separate themselves. 
Um, and they did a, a lot of that closeness came with John Morant out of the lineup in that series. So that worries me a little bit when I'm laying this many points. Uh, Golden State, to me, is the better team. But, you know, Dallas's defense is really, really good. And they do a fantastic job at taking away the things that you do well. Now, what does Golden State do well? Shoot the heck out of the basketball. And if they are doing that, if they are shooting at the pace that they were against the Nuggets and the early part of the, se the series against Memphis, then, yeah, I don't know if Dallas has an answer. But I do like the over a lot here. 214 is low. Um, it's where Dallas is used to seeing totals. It's not used to where Golden State is seeing totals. I think this is one of those spots where uh, the really good defensive pitching, uh, really good defensive pitching, the really good defense and shooting from both of these teams sort of cancels each other out. Um, and so I don't know what, where that came from. My hamster just completely fell off the wheel. I apologize. But, you know, the really good defensive shooting from Dallas and, and from Golden State, because Golden State is a, is a top five defense in the NBA during the regular season this year as well. Um, I think they sort of cancel each other out and teams are going to score. Like I could see a 110-105 kind of final. And that gets me to 215. And that thing, that makes it go over. Um, and again, that's the five points you're talking about right there. But I would be surprised if they kept Golden State below 100. It would be blowout style. Like that's the way Dallas has really been keeping teams below 100 is, is that they have been able to get such a sizable lead that the other team takes their foot off the gas pedal and says, screw it, we'll, we'll ride the rest of this out and we'll, we will figure it out next time. So Golden State plus Golden State at home is really, really tough to root against. You know, that's a, it's a really kind of tough place for teams to get a win away from Golden State. So... Uh, or I should say in Golden State, away from their own homes. But nonetheless, it's going to be an exciting conference finals. I get amped up for the conference finals in the NBA because I think you're getting like really the best brand of, of basketball. The finals are great, but it's just, you know, it's it's almost like the conference finals to get for the chance to, to go play for a championship um, is a lot more tension-filled and a lot more intensity and a lot more anxiety through every single game than necessarily the NBA finals are. Um, and sometimes that happens in seven game series, but I think you'll see a lot of the intensity being picked up right here, um, over these games in the next couple of days. So official predictions, um, will be golden state to advance along with Boston to advance. So you'll get East versus West again, Boston versus California, just a different part. That's all. So we'll see how it shakes out. All right. That does it for me here. On this Tuesday, I appreciate you guys making A to Z your first listen every single day. Make your next listen, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, the ATL Sports Talker, bringing you all the best opinions on everything from Falcons, Braves, Dogs, Hawks, whatever it is. You know Chuckery's got it right here for you on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta wherever you get your podcasts. We're also free on YouTube as well. Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno and the entire network at Locked On ATL. Appreciate you guys doing this Tuesday with me. You guys have a great day. Don't take the crap from anybody. See you.